from Publishers Weekly Comic World. More to come. I'm here at Artist Alley on Sunday with Jill Thompson. Hey, how are you doing? So, um, I see a lot of work from um, uh, your Wonder Woman, The True Amazon. Is that the book you're here promoting this year? Well, it, Wonder Woman, The True Amazon came out last year. Uh, I am always promoting it because I'm really, really proud of it. I just won uh, an Eisner Award. Uh, in at San Diego Comic-Con this year for Wonder Woman the True Amazon. It was voted the best new graphic album. Um, so I just want to make sure everybody knows it's out there. Um, I also see some very unusual merchandise on your table. Um, what, what inspired you to go to such creative length? in self-merchandising. Um, the merchandise you're looking at is a Bugaboo uh, backpack from my character Bugaboo from The Scary Godmother. Uh, I have all merchandising, well, I have all rights to everything from Scary Godmother, film, television, books, mer um, all merchandise. And I, there's stuff that I want to see exist in the world, and the only person that's going to make it happen is me. So can you tell us a little bit about your uh, creative plans for the future? Um, my plans for the future, uh, I plan on making more comics. Um, I'm working on more Beasts of Burden with Evan Dorgan. I'm working with, on another DC Comics project. I have an Archie project that I want to start working on. Uh, I've pitched something to the people at Archie that I really want to do. Uh, write and illustrate, of course. Um, I want to make more Scary Godmother merchandise. I would like to do some more Scary Godmother stories. So these are all my plans. I just need to have more time, be faster, or clone myself. So uh, how has your New York Comic Con been this year? Oh, uh, I think New York Comic Con is kind of the busiest it's ever been. I find, I found it, uh, like, right, it's weird, we were talking about how Saturday always seems really slow now, uh, where there's a lot of people that come by, but not a lot of people, there's a lot of people who are looking, I think, because it might be their first time ever at Comic-Con, and then things kind of get busy and sales busy again on Sunday, and if you're an artist or a vendor, you know, not only are you trying to enjoy all the culture at the con, but you're also trying to sell the things that you run. Um, it seems like it's kind of, it's, it's starting to become like San Diego. It's, it's starting to creep out into the actual city itself. I, I wish I could go over to the Hammerstein Ballroom or Madison Square Garden because I think it's kind of cool. Those super iconic buildings and historical places are being used for comic related stuff. Um, so have you managed to make it to any panels or programming this year? Only the ones I've been on. I never, unless I am on a panel, uh, get to attend a panel as a, a fan. Uh, if, if you're working a con, you're working the con. Um, this year I went to San Diego Comic Con uh, just as an attendee. I flew in because I went to the Eisner Awards, so I got to visit people, see some stuff, eat lunch outside of the convention center, or eat lunch in general, because you usually don't have time to do that, and uh, and then spring out. I didn't have to worry about much of, much of anything, and I, I like going to the convention as a fan. It's something I might have to do more often. 
So, is there anything that you want to tell our listeners? Hmm. Well, I would like to tell your listeners, if they have not yet looked at Wonder Woman, the true Amazon, I would like them to read that. Uh, I would like them to read Scary Godmother. Um, I would like them just to read more comics. Thank you so much. Sure. This is Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm here at New York Comic Con on Sunday in the DC booth with Marguerite Bennett. Hi. And tell me a little bit about what books you're promoting right now at the con. Oh, sure. Um, so right now my lineup uh, is uh, for DC Comics is for Batwoman and DC Bombshells um, and DC Bombshells United, which is the new number one uh, relaunch of the series. So can you tell me like how well, a bit about Bombshells and then a bit about how Bombshells United differs from Bombshells? Absolutely. Uh huh. So um, DC Bombshells, uh, the conceit of the whole line is that it's all of the major DC heroines in this alternate history World War II. And in the first um, series, you know, it was this massive world building. I really, I was very particular, I was horribly picky um, about how I wanted, uh, to, you know, to detail the rules of the new world. And I wanted to make very clear that all the women came first. And that it wasn't, you know, something where it was like, oh, well, the men uh, died or went missing one day, and so the women had to fight. That it was, you know, they wanted to fight, you know, and so, and so they fought. Like, they chose. They rose up. Um, and I also want to make very clear in the opening, um, you know, issues that no heroine is derivative of a male counterpart. Our very first page shows um, 10-year-old Bruce Wayne, you know, out walking with his parents on the way to see, you know, Zorro. And we started with this, like, super cheesy, like, radio serial announcer. And he's like, out front of the essence of a stroll, you know, from the darkness, something too chill with a machine gun. And, you know, and then, like, who is that mysterious madam from above? And then, that And rescues Bruce. Absolutely. And so that kid grew up healthy and happy and stable. And so there is, you know, it's a world with no Batman. It's a world, you know, where the heroines were the ones who were there. And, um, you know, they didn't need a Batman. Yeah, exactly. And so we spit up in there, um, and each heroine got her own genre and her own chapter, you know, to define this complete universe. And so, you know, so Batwoman stays as the cheery, the, like, the cheesy radio adventure reel, you know, Wonder Woman's a war story, Aquaman's a romance, Atana's a horror film, um, and, you know, just, like, fleshed out this complete universe. And, um, you know, went on for, you know, uh, I mean, originally, you know, when they, they first greenlit it, they were like, you know, just so you know, like, we, we know you're really passionate about the series, be prepared, you know, we might have to close it out at six issues and just, just get ready for cancellation. And then, you know, the fan enthusiasm and the readership response was just, just blew us away. And we did bombshells for over a thousand pages. You know, we, we did over 30 issues at 30 pages apiece. And, I mean, it was just, it was enormous. You know, we have five trades out, like it was just a phenomenon. And, um, you know, so with the, the success and, you know, the victory of this world, we wanted the chance to bring in, you know, to, to get to share it with new readers. Um, and create, you know, a great jumping on point and a new number one. Um, that's sort of the act two, you know, so it's nothing redundant for people who have already enjoyed the series, but it functions as a great place um, to bring people in who maybe haven't been so familiar with the characters. But it's doing something very different with plot, too. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, you know, with the refocusing with this new number one, it was sort of this opportunity, this second chance. You know, so with the, with the first series, I was so focused on the world building, but this, I wanted to be very focused on what we were saying, like why we were telling these specific stories in this specific way. And, um, you know, so we open up, you know, uh, you know, with Wonder Woman fighting some mysterious enemy, but you're used to her, you know, in, in France, in the, in the pines, in the mist, um, in the trenches, but instead we open up with the Arizona desert. So what's going on here? You know, we, we pull back to her fighting these tanks, and you're like, is has America been invaded? And then you realize they're American tanks. And then you see the trains rolling through the desert, and you realize it's the first day of Japanese internment. 
And so we wanted to refocus on Japanese American heroines. You know, so, so we, you know, in, in this information bombshells, Donna Tari and Cassie Sandsmark and Yuki Inura Katsura um, and uh, Emily Sung, um, you know, are part of the Japanese American and Asian American community um, in Los Angeles and along the east, along the West Coast. Um, and so we wanted to have, you know, this whole idea of the second chance of, you know, if you had the opportunity to go back through your own cultural history and choose differently, knowing what you knew then, you know, knowing what you do now. What would you have done, you know, not just on the battlefield, just as a civilian, you know, amid this crisis of conscience, um, and how that would have changed the world that you live in, and how that would have changed the world that your children inherit? Well, I mean, that's that's really amazing, but I kind of wonder, like, how do superheroines fit into this? Because it seems like more of, like, a political problem. Mm -hmm. How how did you figure out, like, how to make this a superheroine problem? That is a mystery. Okay. Yep. Um, so, if you could talk a little bit about um, your history in comics and how you came to the place of doing bombshells and maybe how you came up with the idea. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I'm actually just like sort of riding on the shoulders of giants at this point. Um, Jim Fletcher and Ed Lucia uh, designed the fantastic bombshells on, you know, first of like the, you know, the Wonder Woman's like the breaker of chains. Um, and I was such a huge fan of their stuff and I was very vocal about it, you know, on Twitter, just like, you know, talking in the offices. Um, and uh, back in uh, August of 2014, DC did a, a variant month where all of the standard New 52 titles received a bombshells variant. And um, they sold like hotcakes, and you know, the fan enthusiasm was there. Um, you know, we'd go to shows, and there would be all of these bombshells cosplayers. And DC was like, you know what, they, they really seem to enjoy this. Let's give them what they want. Um, and so they were looking around to do a digital first, um, you know, universe, you know, to, like for the series. Um, and a place to showcase the heroines. And I was just, like, you know, in the back of the classroom, bouncing with my hand in the air, all Hermione Granger. Um, and so Jim Chadwick, uh, yeah, called me up in September 2014 and asked me to pitch. And I think they were expecting maybe, like, two or three pages, maybe four, and I turned it 18. <laughs> and just, um, you know, hit the ground from there. Um, and can you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the other comics you've done? Oh, sure. Um, so right now I'm working on uh, a Batwoman um, with my brother-in-arms in comics, um, James Tynion IV. And uh, Batwoman is my favorite heroine, bar none. Um, and so we really wanted, uh, you know, to go back through her series. Um, you know, if you're familiar with the character, or if you're not, um, you know, Batwoman, uh, Kate Kane, is Bruce Wayne's cousin. Um, and she is, you know, a proud lesbian, ex-military, um, you know, Jewish woman. And um, Greg Rucka uh, first introduced her when I was actually in high school. And I remember where I was, like, you know, when it, because it was, you know, such a big deal. That yeah. It was going to be a mainstream heroine like this. And um, I went in the bathroom and cried. Like, I was such a nerd, but I was so happy to hear that there was going to be a queer superheroine like this. Um, and so, like, I fell in love with her. Like, you know, she's my favorite heroine, bar none. Um, and so it was just so shocking, you know, that I got to, to, to grow up, you know, that, like, I, I, like 18-year-old Marguerite would not have believed me <laughs> that this was going to be her life. Um, and so within uh, the original run with Greg Rucka and J.H. Williams III, um, you know, there's this period, you know, where Kate, uh, she's kicked out of West Point under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, like loses her sense of self and it's like you know this this was the this was the dream this was everything that guided my life so far what do I do now and like she sort of disappears for this year and so we wanted to go back in our own run um, under rebirth and explore what had shaped her what had happened within that that brought her back as Batwoman and so um, our run uh, you know beginning um, with, uh, with the rebirth issue from February with Steve Epting um, you know gives people sort of like you know like, like here's everything you need to know here are all the puzzle pieces and then you get to see how we're going to put them together. Um, and so, you know, it's been this, uh, you know, Batwoman is like international woman of mystery. And it's just sort of got like these Casablanca, Indiana Jones elements and like sort of this James Bond. I mean, it's all like using her black ops and paramilitary training 
um, to go around the world and chase down the things that have escaped Batman's jurisdiction. Um, so it's all of, you know, these, these things that, you know, even within her own life, you know, where she visited these places previously and she screwed something up. She failed to complete a mission. And now all of these failures, you know, are sort of coalescing um, and coming back. And this is the thing she has to take responsibility for and answer for. Um, but, I mean, I know we're at the DC booth, mm-hmm. but we're talking about your career as a whole. Can you talk about some of the other things that you've done over the years? Sure. Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, I've done some work for Marvel. Um, and then I do, uh, right now, two creator-owned series through a publisher called Aftershock. Um, one of which uh, is Insects, which is a much more mature adult um, historical horror-slash-eroticer comic um, about a pair of Victorian lesbian lovers who discover this form of body horror that lets them go on a revenge killing spree. And the other series that I do is called Animosity, and it's about uh, it's this apocalypse story um, that's about uh, sort of one day, for no discernible reason, all the animals come online. They start thinking, and they start talking, and they start taking revenge. And it's this huge, over-the-top series, like cows rebel in their slaughterhouses, hens murder the crud out of their roosters, um, the whale at SeaWorld rises up out of the pool, like all jaws and foam, and slams his flipper down, his trainer's screaming, and he goes, Jessica, I can't deny my feelings for you anymore. And it's this ridiculous, over-the-top black comedy, and then right in the middle of this just absolutely chaotic, absurd world, we had this girl and her dog in New York City. And, you know, she's had him since he was a puppy. Like, you know, she raised him, she took care of him, you know, she was the mom and he was the baby. And then his lifespan, though, is much shorter than hers. Because he's a dog. Exactly. So when he comes online, he's an adult. Yeah, but she's still a kid. And in all the violence and the chaos, you know, her parents are the picture pretty quickly. And suddenly he's left as the father to this human child. That raised him. But he has to understand, you know, that his life expectancy is so short, he's not going to live to see her grow up. And so he has to find a way to keep her safe. So they start this road trip from New York City all across just the insane chaos of this continent to San Francisco, where her estranged half-brother lives. And so this is the thing that he loves completely. Like, this is the one thing that he's always cared about, that she's the defining light in his life. But also the entire momentum of his life is to let her go, is to give her to someone else. And it's just, it's a series all about love and responsibility and animals and just growing up. And so, you know, so it's, it's, it's funny, it's dark, it's emotional, it's messed up, and I really enjoy it. <laughs> and I hope folks do too. So how has your New York Comic Con been for you this year? Chaotic, but wonderful. Couldn't ask for a better one, honestly. Can you expand on that a little? Um, I mean, mostly it's just, you know, I've been meeting folk in panels. I'm not sure it'd be a terribly interesting story. Fair enough. Um, so... You have a table down in Artist Alley. How have sales been for you? I mean, everyone's, you know, so supportive of the show, and, but, like, really it's not so much about sales as it's about meeting people and getting to have a connection mm-hmm. and getting to talk about the work and, you know, share the enthusiasm. I mean, so often, you know, comics sort of get painted with the brush of, you know, of toxicity or negativity, you know, like, you know, some of the, like, Twitter, Twitter is a cesspit, we all know yeah. that. Um, but, you know, coming here and getting to sort of celebrate the community and make these personal interactions hear what, you know, stories mean to people, to get to share, you know, with them the things that, you know, you have in common, the fandoms and the books that you yeah. love. Um, it makes it all worthwhile. Thank you so much. And do you have one thing that you would like to tell our listeners? Anything uh, you want? Pick up Squirrel Girl. Try Squirrel Girl by Ryan North and Erica Henderson. It is a joy. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Welcome to More to Come. P.W. Comic Will's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of P.W. Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash
Comics. All right, we are back on the floor of the 2017 New York Comic Con. We're actually not on the floor. We're in the press lounge. It's a little more relaxed. Uh, and we're actually, we're right on the verge of the show, show ending, but we've got a great, incredible view of the floor. It's amazing. It's almost five and it's still jam-packed. And the we I'm talking about is I'm here with the CEO and founder of Tokyo Pop, Stu Levy. Stu, uh, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thanks, Calvin. Yeah, and we're overlooking the show floor. I almost feel like this is an ESPN suite at, a, <laughs> at the Yankees game or something. But um, it's pretty amazing. It's almost time for the floor to close. I know, and it's, right? And it's, it's still jam-packed out there. It is. It is. It's a, I mean, there are so many fans. Look at, look at over there. They're all jumping up and down. Yeah, yeah. So it's still crazy Marvel thing yeah. going on. It's a big banner in front of us. I can't see what it is. But yeah, it's a, it's um, a really popular show. We've got a view here of Dark Horse, and, uh, Viz, Shonen Jump here. Uh, yeah, so Square Enix. One of the things yeah, that I really go. enjoyed is I well, I looked at the Square Enix manga VR. Uh huh. Did you get a chance uh, you know to what? see it? I walked by there and it was eerie. It was really cool. Did yeah, you actually, put yeah. on the goggles and I do didn't it put it on, but you know, I was walking by and I just had I had to stop because. The comics are, I mean, I don't know what the way to describe it. They were coming to life on well, the screen. Well, I but I didn't really sit down to the... So, uh, I, w so I went yeah. and, I, and I actually, turns out I know the guy who runs the R&D for mm -hmm. that, which I lucked out because it saved me a, a wait in a very long line. Yeah, you got it. So <laughs> that was like, ooh, thank There God. you go. But um, I dodged a bullet on that one. But, um, but it, because I'm very interested in VR and AR mm -hmm. and all these technologies, mm -hmm. I'm always a little bit... Um, you know, into tech. Yes, sure. Maybe more yeah, than a you, little yes. bit into yeah, tech. Well, uh, yeah, well, um, and so and so, I thought, like, you know, I've been thinking for a long time about how can manga and comics mm -hmm. express themselves in virtual reality, mm -hmm. augmented reality, and um, I've seen a few, mm -hmm. you know, stabs at it and have never been impressed. And I thought, well, Square Enix, because they're a gaming company mm -hmm. and a manga publisher, yeah. Yeah. they may have a new twist. I'm curious, and so mm -hmm. and so, I was, I prioritized yeah. watching this thing. And I'll tell you, man. So what was it like? It I mean, was, I was, was I describing I'll, I'll it fairly it. accurately? It actually was, it really impressed me. I had pretty low expectations, mm -hmm. which always helps. Yes. When you have <laughs> I said low I, expectations. Giving it a boost, sure. Um, but, but it was, what they did, which I, I found fascinating, is they were able to retain the hand-drawn 3D, uh, hand-drawn 2D illustrative nature, yes. but create a 3D environment at the same time mm -hmm. and have animated 3D characters like walking and talking mm -hmm. while they were hand-drawn manga. Mm -hmm. it, it was like, whoa, they really pulled it off. Yeah, that sounded like what I was, I mean, I don't know what the experience was looking through the screen, but yeah. looking through the goggles. But cause the, what I saw on the screen was just really eerie, both the movement, I mean, it was cool, but eerie in the sense that I've not seen that kind of the the manga look move in that way oh yeah it wasn't quite anime mm -hmm. and it wasn't yeah which i liked you yeah. know i liked that it was retaining the essence of manga yeah the only criticism that i had was i feel like it, it was all black and white and i understand yes. why because manga was is traditionally mm -hmm. black and white but i think that when you look at the trends that how, how manga is being expressed on the different platforms, the digital platforms in Asia, everything's switching over to color. Yeah. And I felt in the VR world a little, little missing something mm. having it all be black and white. Yeah. I, it was like sort of watching I Love Lucy reruns yes. <laughs> and, and on your you know 4K well, TV. Yeah, well, that was the effect that I had on it because it did seem like you were looking at a manga page. Yeah. But the characters were coming to life. They and did, talking they, and they, moving they and, and, the, and the voice acting was great and and the way they also it, there were even word balloons there were word balloons which 
to me, I was on the fence on that one, but I'll mm. tell you what I really thought was interesting is when you, if you look at VR, you, the camera typically will move around mm. so you can follow it into a different angle and a different view. But what they did is instead of moving the camera, they kept the camera with in one, fixed in one place. And you can, of course, move your head and see mm. things. But when they wanted to cut in on a close-up of a face or something, they drew a panel <laughs> and then the, the, the character popped up in the panel and spoke there. And then the panel yeah. would go away. <laughs> and I thought that was a pretty creative technique, yeah. mm -hmm. which obviously saved them a bit of money. <laughs> and also, I think, um, negated some of the effects, some of the dizziness you can you tend to get in VR. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So but it, it, was, but it was a very interesting experience. And I didn't sit through the whole thing, and I still was fascinated by it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking yeah. about something completely yeah. unrelated yeah. to Tokyo Absolutely. Pop. But let's get back to Tokyo Pop. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Really what I want, obviously, uh, I, for our listeners who may not know, yeah. uh, I'll remind them the Tokyo Pop Revolution. Uh, I mean, uh, Tokyo Pop was among the companies that really um, made manga popular in the U.S., the right-to-left format, uh, bringing in uh, shoujo manga, really, in, in many ways, bringing, bringing comics into the book trade in ways that it had never been before. Um, the company's gone through a, through a roller coaster ride. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, shut down in North America about 2011. Yep. Uh, you've been publishing again. It sounds as though you're back and looking to publish more in yep. North America yep. again. So maybe just very quickly we'll start off. What can we expect to see from uh, Tokyo Pop in North America? Sure, and, and I'll mention, and, and Calvin, thanks for the summary there. It was, it was accurate. Um, I was in our panel the other day, mm -hmm. and I was also talking to some people, some fans, and I always tend to ask, you know, do you know Tokyo Pop from, from before? And I, I find that, surprisingly enough, at our panel, maybe only 20 to 30% of the people did, yeah. which meant yeah. that there's a whole new generation of fans that don't necessarily know us from the old days, but they're interested in what we're doing. Sure. Um, which I think is, you know, that's the way of the world. Mm -hmm. and, in, and on the one hand, it's a bit sad that, you know, our, <laughs> our momentum from the old days isn't necessarily um, adding much now. But on the other hand, we can participate again. We can come back mm -hmm. into the game. We can do things that are interesting. Sure. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's the fun part of business is mm -hmm. kind of re reinventing yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so for us, we started about a year, a little bit more than a year ago, publishing for the first time in print mm -hmm. in North America. Now, we've been publishing in Europe yeah, right. all, all along. Yes. So the company overall has never disappeared. If anything, mm -hmm. it actually grew in Europe and we, uh, we have the top market share. Mm -hmm. In comic books in Germany um, and so we're, we're a pretty significant sized manga publisher there mm -hmm. we put out about 25 or more books per month mm -hmm. um, and and have a have a, a, a good catalog of stuff you know stuff like Death Note and mm -hmm. Zelda and you know, mm -hmm. Bleach and some really great hits but here um, we're starting all over. Yeah. So we did a deal with Disney mm -hmm. last right. year, and we created a category called Disney Manga. Uh -huh. um, and then we started by taking a number of titles that were created in Japan, mm. localizing them into English, mm. and then publishing them here, like Stitch, yeah. mm -hmm. um, a series called Kira La Princess, which mm. is sort of like Kingdom Hearts for Shoujo. Okay. Um, Shoujo Girl Kira mm. goes to different princess Disney princess worlds, mm. um, Alice in Wonderland. Mm and the first Nightmare Before Christmas movie. Mm. Then along the way, we started working with Disney to create original manga. Um, so our first foray into that was Beauty and the Beast, okay. together with the film. And we created two Beauty and the Beast books, 
one from the point of view of Bell mm -hmm. and one from the point of view of the Beast. Mm -hmm. And their companion books, we published them and they did quite well. And now we're working on um, a Nightmare Before Christmas sequel. Right. Now this is why I think if I have this project, because you're going to be writing this? Yeah, yeah. So yes. uh, this is my my first time writing since Princess I. Mm -hmm, right. Um, uh -huh. So it's been a few yeah. years. Um, I've written a few screenplays and things in the meantime, yeah. but in terms of comics. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm sort of um, dusting off my typewriter. DJ Milky? Is this still good? You're still using yeah, that? Yeah, I'm still using yeah, my pen the tag name. There? Okay. My pen name. Yeah. I figure that's, you know, that's the pen name that I started okay, sure. with. I'll, I'll stick with it. It's it's When I first used that pen name, it was because I didn't, I didn't want to confuse myself as a business person together with my sort of creative yeah, hat. No, it's understandable. But now, you know, it's like this world, every, everybody does everything, yeah. why not? You yeah. know, yeah. so I'll say DJ Milky, but, you know, it's not like I'm trying to pretend that it's not me. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. just getting myself And in it's the, gotten in the around mood. anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not a secret. And, and all so but I am interested in Nightmare because, because, I mean, I, you know, I've talked a little bit about Jeremy about it, because what you're doing is a little unusual, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Well, yeah, so so first off, let me say that with, it's very exciting. Yeah. And honestly, really an honor to be able mm -hmm. to play in that sandbox, because yeah. me, myself, and, and of course many people on our team, we are massive fans, not only of Tim Burton overall, mm -hmm. but spe specifically Nightmare Before Christmas. Sure. You know, this is... This is a project that, you know, just on my own a few years back, I went to the Hollywood Bowl out in L.A. and I watched on Halloween night, yeah. you know, the whole orchestra and Danny oh, Elfman conducting the whole thing. And then, yeah, then they sing the entire movie. Oh. They play the whole movie. They show it there. Oh, and, then, and then yeah. all the voice actors go. And at the end, Oingo Boingo comes on. Danny brings the, the band mm -hmm. and then they play. Um, um, they play a couple songs. Yeah. So it, it's it's a really awesome experience. And so um, so when we found out that there is a chance that we would that Tim Burton might allow us to tell an original story in this mm -hmm. universe um, we obviously jumped at it and we went back and forth with Disney on some options mm -hmm. in terms of storytelling we ended up with a story that Tim Burton approved mm -hmm. and it's called Zero's Journey okay uh, with Zero the ghost dog being mm -hmm. the the protagonist in the story and in the original film, you've seen the movie. You know, I, I actually haven't seen it. You've never I, seen it. I know, and I, I apologize, but it's one of those properties where I haven't seen it, but I, you know, I know a fair you amount about, about it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you probably heard the songs. Yes, absolutely. So I, I apologize, fans. No, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> but I, I haven't. I bet my wife has, though. <laughs> so there, there you go. She'll yeah. tell me. I mean, there are, of course, any movie, yes. there's always people who haven't seen it. But, <laughs> um, but, the, but there's a dog. In the movie, mm -hmm. that's Jack's dog, mm -hmm. who's, a, who's a ghost dog, and he appears in a few scenes, but he's not really ever the center of anything. Mm -hmm. But everybody loves him because yeah. he's adorable, yes. and so he becomes the, the the hero of our story, and he gets lost, mm -hmm. and then he gets lost in Christmas Town. Yeah. So basically, Jack of course freaks out. He doesn't know where he is, and then. You know, he, he and a bunch of the, the Halloween Town people are trying to find Zero. Mm -hmm. And uh, Zero, in the meantime, is out in Christmas Town trying to find his way home and, you know, causing a bunch of trouble inadvertently in the way. Yeah. And so it's a lot of fun. Um, the, we're, we're, we've got some amazing artists involved from Japan. And we're publishing it, like you mentioned, in a pretty unique way. What we're 
what we want to do is we want to satisfy the range of fans. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to be only appealing to manga fans. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, we're not really the company to make a full-on Western comic. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is we're doing a bit of a hybrid. Uh, which is something that in my career I've always enjoyed doing. Yeah. I try mm -hmm. to bring East and West together, sure. do mm -hmm. a little bit of a fusion. Mm -hmm. um, so we're creating a story, I'm writing it, and writing mm -hmm. some lyrics as well. Mm -hmm. And then cool. um, the concept art and the actual manga art is being done in Japan. And we are going up to inks, and then we're having a coloring, a co we're coloring it. Yeah. So we're yeah. doing a color version that we'll be publishing as a single issue. Mm -hmm. So we'll have 20. Monthly comics. There's a monthly comic. Monthly right. comics. And they'll be collected into four trade paperbacks. Okay. Six right. by nine. So right. the regular um, traditional collector size. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll, we're doing that all along in color. And then when we're done with that run, which mm -hmm. will last about a year and a half to two years. Okay. Then what we'll do is we're going to go back, go take out the color. Mm -hmm. Now, are these reading right to left or left to right? These are reading right to left. They're reading, okay. So, so that that's, a, that's another interesting, because it's, yeah. it's essentially a Western comic, but you're you're giving it an Eastern twist. Well, and, <laughs> and because it's really manga mm -hmm. artists who are drawing yes, it. Yes, that's true. It, yeah. it, it also yeah. is, will have that look and feel of, yeah, of yeah, manga. Yeah. And since, as I mentioned yeah. earlier, there's a, there's a trend. Well, I mentioned it to you offline, so yes. I didn't say it in the podcast. <laughs> but there's a trend right now. Um, maybe I said it in the podcast yeah. when we were talking about the VR. I was talking oh, about right, right, color yeah, manga. We were talking about yeah, yeah. yeah. So color manga is becoming a trend out yeah, in Asia. Yes, yes, you did mention it. And it's really mainly for um, for the cell phones, mm -hmm. but it, it, it is becoming a, a trend. And so it's not like I think that there's you know traditionally the reason why manga was black and white was because it started in the 40s and the 50s when you know printing black mm -hmm. and white was so much cheaper and the whole point of Japanese manga was making it affordable for the masses mm -hmm. and so over the years there was you know bonus color pages but in general it was black and white but it wasn't like manga must be told in black and white mm -hmm. you know there wasn't something about black and white versus color that made it inherently have uh -huh. to be that way mm -hmm. so there's, there are color mangas that have been yeah. created mm -hmm. over the years um, so it's manga. It reads right to left. The format is the is the traditional Western size, and then what we'll do just for kind of fun, a little mm -hmm. bit of a novelty to see what it's like. We'll pull out the color. We'll keep the inks, mm -hmm. and then we'll tone it in black and white. We'll make it pocket size, and we'll publish it as a, a more traditional yeah, well, manga. Yeah, okay. And yeah. see, you know, see what happens. Do, pe <laughs> yeah, do people do people want both? Do they want one or yeah, the yeah. other? Um, you know, we'll see how that yeah. goes. But to us. Just the fact that we get to tell this story, and with these characters, certainly around this particular property, for yeah, sure. and 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 work with Tim Burton, um, that's that's really exciting for us. Yeah, this is great. Um, let's see. Uh, Can I okay, tell you about one other thing we're doing? Yes, absolutely. But I also want to talk to you about pop comics too. Oh, just where okay. that's going? But go on. What? Well, yeah, because well, I want to. Yeah, in general, yeah. What you're doing? I know this is a a primary print category but you're doing some other things with uh, I know the international women in comics that's what I was gonna mention. oh okay yeah okay. yeah because yeah. yeah. you know our line I, I'm just gonna talk a little about our lineup yeah. overall yeah. so the Disney manga of course is one yeah. we're, we're taking some of our previous what they call OEL mangas yes. and re and making collectors editions ah. so we did that for business cast we're gonna do uh, that okay. we're gonna do that for um, for tarot cafe we're gonna do that for dark Metro 
uh, um, I Love Halloween, uh -huh. which okay. we had colored back in the day. We're going to re-release that as a, a full color bind-up. So oh, okay, great. There, there's some of those These are some of the more successful yeah. uh, um, series from, from the old, older Tokyo, Tokyo Pop. That's line. right. Yeah, and, that's great. And even Princess I. We've yeah. got a new book for Princess cool. I. The artist is in the early stages of working, and then oh, we'll cool. bind it up. So mm -hmm. stuff like that. Then another line is we have discovered that there's this incredible generation of talented women manga artists around the world and um, we've been publishing some of them mm. in Germany yeah. mm -hmm. um, we also discovered um, uh, one of them here a few of them here actually mm -hmm. starting with Sophie Chan who mm -hmm. um, which you've announced you know Ocean of Secrets yeah, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. the first one's out and she's working on the second and um, and then we've got Nana Ya, mm -hmm. who did Goldfish mm -hmm. out in Germany for us, which was a, a, a top a chart topping mm -hmm. a manga, shonen manga out there. And then we've got the Zarbo twins, uh -huh. Bon and Gin, who each have done an interesting twist on sort of horror manga. Um, one is Kamo, which is a bit like Bleach, uh -huh. and there's a um, you know, evil spirit hunting teenager that, that goes and in exchange for saving his heart because he has a heart disease um, he has the obligation now of soul collecting hunting a number of evil spirits so that's a fun action oriented manga and then Gin her sister her twin sister has created a, a, a twist on the zombie genre that's called Undead Messiah and so all of those and, and these women are interesting because they're also ethnically diverse so you've got Nana who's Yes. Born mm -hmm. and raised in Germany, and she's half African. Mm -hmm. You have Gin and Bon, who were raised in Switzerland, and they're half Dominican. Mm -hmm. You have um, Sophie Chan, who was born and raised, born in Iraq, and raised mm -hmm. in Abu Dhabi, and mm -hmm. then emigrated to Canada. So you have these interesting women from around the world with different diverse perspectives on storytelling. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then we just signed Natalia from Sweden, and she has Sword Princess Amaltea, which is a really um, fun reverse. Instead of the prince saving the princess, it's the princess saves the prince, and it's a very um, women-centric, fun mm. story, fantasy story. So is this going to be sort of a, a marketing platform that you're going to use to, around the world for Tokyo Pop? Yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, in here in North America. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it really, it's about not only introducing the stories themselves, but the creators. The creators. Yeah. Sure. Great. Yeah. Uh, but tell us about... Um, pop comics uh -huh. where Sophie Chan uh, I understand that's where that work surfaced yeah so pop comics we've been I wouldn't say keeping it under the radar but we've really been you know every month refining um, the technology behind this digital it's platform a it's a self-publishing platform it, essentially currently it's, it's self-publishing it's based on um, what they call UGC which mm -hmm. is you know Anybody can upload their, their mm, comic right. or their manga. That's the current version of the platform. We're working on a, the whole next phase of it. Mm -hmm. We'll bring in a number of more professional manga mm -hmm. and comics. Oh, okay. And not that these aren't necessarily professional, yeah. mm -hmm. but working with different publishers mm -hmm. um, and then creating a whole monetization aspect. Mm -hmm. But basically that platform over the next couple of years, you'll really see us put more and more and more emphasis on it and then tying it into what we're doing on the print side. So right now it's pretty under the radar, but we think we have a, um, a really streamlined user experience right now. And we think in the next six to 12 months, it will become probably, if not the best platform out there, absolutely one of the best. No, it's great. I mean, uh, it, it reminds me to uh, a little bit about Wattpad. 
like Wattpad, oh, where it's yes, a community yes. where people can sort of develop their talents, That's right. get feedback on how they're developing, and projects grow out of it. Exactly. Um, that, where people have a community that they can kind of grow, develop, and get feedback. Because exactly. people can look at, it's you can look at all of the work, as I understand it. Though it sounds like you're about to uh, uh, maybe uh, start a premium level or exactly. with different exactly. kinds of content. Yeah. But we don't want to underemphasize the value of the creators that decide to put their works on the, sure. on the platform. Sure. We, you know, we're not trying to become Xology or mm. something like that. So for us, it's really important that the creators mm. who choose to put their work on our platform first, mm. we take no rights whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's 100% controlled by the creator, mm -hmm. so they can upload anything whenever they want. Mm. Anything with the caveat that there is yes, there a, a community standards. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so as long as they're following those sure. guidelines from mm -hmm. a content point of view, everything's owned 100% mm -hmm. by them. We take no rights, no options. Mm -hmm. They can window it any way they want. They can mm -hmm. take it down whenever they want. It's completely non-exclusive. Mm -hmm. So but, if they want to mm -hmm. be on 20 other platforms, it's up to them. It's they can good. do mm -hmm. that. Whatever they want to do, that's mm -hmm. really for them. Mm -hmm. And and eventually, when there's actual revenue, um, seventy percent goes to the creator. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this all sounds really good. I want to get some general uh, comments in, uh, uh, just to see get your thoughts on them. Uh, obviously, the manga whole manga section went through a, a roller coaster as well. Yes. Uh, the category obviously is back in a big way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, is that one reason why you think it's back to bring uh, a good time to bring Tokyo Pop back? Is the retail? What do you think of the retail situation right now? Obviously, uh, Borders is gone, and that was sort of instrumental when you were starting Tokyo. Yes. Uh, but it's a different landscape now, yep. and the book format seems to be creeping outwards uh, in uh, for comics. Yeah. That's I, always the issue. I, I think that, you know, obviously, sure, at the end of the day, the days when people had to buy a book if they wanted to read a manga mm. or a comic, you know, yeah, we're all, the, the people like me who've been around for a long time, we're all going to miss those days, mm. but the world is the world, you know, mm. I, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. There are, when you go on the Apple store, mm -hmm. for instance, the iOS store, there, the, and you type in manga, mm. the first 20, um, apps yeah. that pop up are all pirate apps yeah which drives yeah. me crazy yeah. because it's just not fair to the creators sure. yeah. um, let alone the publishers it's not fair to anybody yeah. and i don't know why frankly kodansha and chuation yeah. shogakan are not aggressive against because, these yeah. people you know they, they, these apps shouldn't be so yeah. easily available yeah but that aside um you know there's just a lot of ways people can read manga now and and the print sizes have bounced back in spite of this. I mean, scanlations and all that is—they're still out there. Uh, and the, the, the Japanese publishers are—I mean, it seems the U.S. side has more of the rights to get stuff done and get it to the fans a little quicker than perhaps they did. Yeah, I think that to me, I feel like, and, and, and because I haven't been publishing for that long mm. since I've come back, and we haven't yet announced or released some Japanese titles, which we will. Mm. Um, you know, certainly you have Viz and Kodansha and these mm -hmm. and, and these publishers in the U.S. market. I don't think, on average, they sell the units like we did back in the old days for the range of titles. Mm -hmm. I think the hits are massive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants on their shelf the big hits. Yeah. But when it comes to sort of medium range titles, mm -hmm. that's where I think the market is not what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, even now. Yeah. Mm. So we'll see because when we put out Japanese titles, we're going to put out some pretty um, focused, nichier stuff because 
frankly, um, Viz and Kodansha have covered all the big stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But we we still see that there. Look at Seven Seas. You know, there are yes. some really cool manga mm-hmm. still available, and those are the ones we'll focus on. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately means that we'll probably be going up for some titles against Seven Seas mm-hmm. or maybe against the Empress. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Japan has so much manga and so many uh, so many titles are, are amazing and, and mm-hmm. really interesting that I think there's enough for enough room for a publisher like us to publish. Mm-hmm. Um, crowdfunding, does that figure in? Only because it's a fascinating platform to me. I don't know if that figures in there, in any way into what you would be doing. Well, I mean, I can say that there is a crowdfunding plan that we have mm-hmm. for a project that we're doing based on an anime that we've done, mm-hmm. but not right now for a book project. Uh-huh. We may one day consider it, but... Um, Right now, it would be based on actual animation. Yeah. 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 Oh, or about that animation films. Uh, I know you've always been interested in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we still we still have yeah. our our film business and film and television, and um, there's a couple projects in the works. That, you know, the way that it works in that world is you you just you work on it, you work on it, you work on it, and one day you hope to get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we've got a couple things that we may get lucky on, um, but. Nothing that we can officially or formally say right now. This yeah. is the one, but we're close. We're very okay. close. All right. <laughs> well, on that note, we're gonna wind down. But look, yeah. actually, it's really great to talk to you, Stu. I Thanks mean, so. you, yeah. you're definitely, you know, made a huge impact on this. Um, that generation may not remember Tokyo <laughs> Pop, yeah, but yeah. If the, but but you actually made a lot of this stuff possible. The, the comics that they're reading. So I think we're in the DNA. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see you back on the scene here, yeah. uh, and with and, uh, with a variety of projects for Tokyo. So thank you so much for being on More to Come. Hey, thanks for having me. All right.